Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. What I want to talk to you about today is something that's been on my heart for a very long time, months in the process. And I came to church last Sunday for probably the first time in, what, six months because I, I live in Florida. I go to school in Florida. Pastor Jimmy came up to me and he said, how'd you like the whole service next week? And I was like, sorry? And he said, both of them. And I was like, I'd, I'd be honored because I've been, whether or not you know it, I've been praying for this church for a very long time. This church has been on my heart since God has changed my life within the past year. He's radically changed me. I, I shared a little bit with the first service about my testimony briefly about how we grew up in the church. I grew up in a Christian school. I had all the knowledge in the world of who Jesus Christ was, but I was lacking in the one essential area, which is relationship. And since I've stepped into that realm of relationship, God has completely radicalized my life. I just got back off the mission field in South America. Um, I spoke about that in the 9 a.m. service. We saw signs, wonders, miracles, healings, prophecies, you know, all the crazy stuff you see in the Bible that we don't think happens these days. It's happening every day. Um, We were were worshiping God for what's happening there. I just want to share with you briefly about that um, and and what that took. So I was was at Auburn University. for academics, I was pursuing a degree in nursing, and I also wanted to walk on and play football. Big football guy. And um, neither one of those things ended up working out. I ended up tearing my hamstring two weeks before my walk-on. My spot was revoked, and then they ended up changing the requirements, and I couldn't make it into nursing school. And I'd been living a life devoted to my own desires. Yeah, I had the knowledge of God, but he was in the back seat. Jesus was in my pocket, and I could pull him out if I ever needed him on speed dial, right? But he was never going before me. I was just like, yeah, you, you can follow me. I've, I've got my salvation. I, I, know who, who, you know, I know who I am. I'm a child of God, right? And I believe that he died on the cross, so I must be going to heaven. And that was good enough for me. You know, I didn't care to read the word. I had all the knowledge. Knowledge was fine for me. That was until I started studying philosophy, and I, once, you know, ignorance really is bliss, because once you come to a point where you know so much, you have to make some decisions. You have to make some decisions on what do I really believe. And I came to the crossroads on, do you believe in God or, or do you not? Because you're going to have to start defending whichever side you believe in. And I said, I believe in God. I, I know that Jesus is the Son of God. I know he is, and I, I believe that. So I'm going to, I'm going to stick with that. Um, and I, so I started getting into the Word again. I started reading, and I came across Matthew 7.21, which says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Like, didn't we do all these things for you? What, what do you mean? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. And then again, we have in James 2.19, you believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons know and they shudder. And then we have in Matthew 4.6, where Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness, the enemy actually uses scripture against Jesus to try to deceive him. But he uses it out of context. But what do we get from that? We have three things. We have people who are doing signs and wonders in the name of Jesus that are not getting into the kingdom of heaven. We have the demons know that Jesus is the Son of God because when he approaches them, they say, Son of man, like, please don't hurt us, right? And they know that he rose from the dead because he walked the earth for 40 days. I'm pretty sure the enemy is conscious of that. And then we also have um, in Matthew, the enemy knows scripture. And so I'm looking at this and I'm looking at my faith walk. And that's about the outline of my faith walk. I know some scripture. 
I know that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose from the dead, and I believe in God. But, but the word just told me even the demons do that. So what separates me from them? What separates us from them? And I had to ask myself that. And that was a very scary conviction. And I'm not here to convict you on This is not a narrow as the gate message, okay? The word says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. But it's very important that we understand what this thing called salvation really is. Here's an analogy for you. I'm not big on celebrities or social media or anything like that, but Dwayne Johnson's a pretty cool celebrity, right? Everybody likes Dwayne Johnson. The Rock. He's the man, right? Pretty cool guy. Let's say I'm the biggest fan of him. I'm the biggest fan of his wrestling career and all of his movies. And I know everything about him. I know where he was born, which I actually do. It's weird. He was born in Hawaii, right? Um, and I could find out the name of his, his mom and dad and all of his friends, and I could know everything about him, and I could buy all of his gear, and I could get an army of 10,000 people to follow me for Dwayne Johnson, and we could be just like some, some radical fans of his, you know, some groupies. <laughs> you know, and we could follow him around all we want. But let's say he has a, a party at his house with his, his closest friends and family, and I show up to the door, and I'm like, hey, Dwayne, hey, it's me, Jacob. And he's like, sorry, who? And I'm like, you don't understand. Like, look, I brought all these people here with me. They're all, like, we're all huge fans of you. I have all your gear. I know every wrestling match you ever did. I know your mom and your dad. I know, I know your birthday. I know more about you than you do. You know what he's going to say to me? Security, get this guy out of here. He's crazy. Because we never had a relationship. We never had a relationship. And that's the, that's the very same thing with God. You see, we can know everything about him. We can know the scripture. We can know that he died on the cross. But when I get in his front door and I say, hey, God, it's me. I know everything about you. He's like, I don't, I don't think I recognize you. Who are you again? Depart from me, or I never knew you. And that's a very sobering, sobering thought. And it makes you check yourself, made me check myself. So I began to to try to change my life. And I, I opened up, I hit my knees and I said, God, I need something. And he spoke to me for the first time and he said, go to Southeastern University. That's where I roomed with Caleb Anthony. And Casey McGinnis, a good friend of mine, had put the word in my ear about Southeastern. And so I started praying about it and it was just, you know, I didn't hear this great audible voice, but it was just a knowingness in my head. And I'd never been so confident about anything in my life. So I took that and I said, okay, I'm going to go. Because either one, it's God, or two, I'm crazy and I have nothing to lose. <laughs> so I took it, and I went with it. And I said, I called my mom, and I was like, hey, I'm going to Southeastern. She's like, don't play with me. And I, you know, I'm like, no, I'm going. I'm going. We're going to do this thing. And she said, well, we can't afford it. And I said, I know. But if this is really God that wants me there, he's going to provide a way for me to afford it. Which he did. I ended up getting a job that paid more than abundantly of what I needed to put me through my own college. So it was definitely of God. So what does Romans 10.9 say? Right? That's, that's the verse that says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Right? But let's read this in the message version. It's the word of faith that welcomes God to go to work and set things right for us. This is the core of our preaching. Say the welcoming word to God, which is, Jesus is my master. Embracing body and soul, God's work of doing in us what he did in raising Jesus from the dead. That's it. You're not doing anything. You're simply calling out to God and trusting him to do it for you. That's salvation. With your whole being, 
Hear that. With your whole being, embrace God setting things right, and then you say it right out loud. God has set everything right between him and me. The key words there is with your whole being. Because, see, we read this verse in the NIV or NLT, whatever you're reading, and it says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And we take believe in your heart as like, oh, yeah, I believe Jesus died on the cross. Right, but what does this say? With your whole being. There's a difference. See, what if we took the word believe and replaced it with buy-in or all-in or commit for whoever commits his whole heart, whoever buys in, whoever puts all their chips in, whoever's all-in and then confesses with their mouth, not simply obtains the knowledge, but actually buys in because that's, that's the root of what this is talking about. That's the true meaning of it. And then we can even go to the source of the word gospel. It's euangelion in Greek. You meaning good, angel is a word for messenger or message, like angel, you know. And we've got the euangelion, but what we don't understand is, is the word gospel was actually a political term used by the Caesar, the Roman Caesar, when he would declare his reign. He would say, listen to my euangelion. It's good news for you to surrender to my reign. And what he left out was, or it surely means death. But that's what he meant, right? If you got in the way of Rome, what would they do? They'd wipe you out. So it was good news for you to surrender to the reign of Caesar or you were in the way of Caesar, right? And it's, it's, it's the exact same thing. It's what the word teaches us. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it's, it's not in a sadistic or a kind of tone. It's like, hey, I've, I've given you the, the ticket. I've, I've purchased it. It's good news for you to surrender to me because it's the better way anyway. It's the happier way. It's the more joyful way. It leads to eternal peace and prosperity, but you've got to surrender or it surely means eternal death. And God is saying, I don't want that for you, but that's the reality. That's what we're dealing with. And I don't want you to be in eternal death. I want you with me. That's why I made the way. It's because I love you. The Father's delight. He's looking at us. He's smiling. He's pleased. For God so loved the world, right? That, that even while we were still yet sinners, Christ died. And greater has no love, or greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friends. So the greatest love in the universe was shown to us while we were still sinners, while we were not following. And that, that proves that the Father's delight is on you. He's looking at you, he's smiling, even if you're running away. Even if someone you know is running away, God's not mad. It's kind of like when, you're, when your kid plays in traffic, right? If your kid is playing in traffic, you, you want to grab them, you pull them out, you might discipline them. But you're not necessarily mad at the kid for what they did. They're too young to know. You're mad at them because they didn't know what they were doing was dangerous for their health. That's God's view on sin for us. It's like, hey, you, you don't understand what, what you're doing. You don't understand what you're getting into, right? And so we, we need to, to have a fresh perspective. But there in the euangelion, we have the most important word that I'm going to be speaking about, which is surrender. Surrender, it's the key. Let's look at Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. See, that's different than recognition, because even the people who didn't surrender to Caesar, right, maybe some outlaws, they recognized that he was the ruler. See where I'm going? They recognized that Caesar was on the throne. It's the surrender. 
that actually matters. I was sharing my testimony in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and something came out of my mouth. I don't know if you've ever been speaking and God just throws something out of your mouth. And you're like, where did that come from? <laughs> that wasn't me. It must have been God. I've never thought of it. I've never heard of it. It's like an epiphany. And this came out. Knowledge says I recognize that Jesus died on the cross. Relationship says I died on that cross with him. And I said it, and my, my friend Danny was translating. We both just went kind of like, whoa. I was like, where did that come from? And he forgot to translate it in Spanish because he was just like, whoa. <laughs> you know, and we're both just kind of in this moment of like, that's so, it sounds so radical to us, you know, to die on the cross with Jesus. But Paul actually says, I have been crucified with Christ. And that's the life that he lived, that, that he lived, you know. We want to live a life like Paul. What did Paul do? He, he died with Christ. So here's a kicker. Whether or not we like it, right, whether or not humanity likes it, we're all under the reign of Christ because he is the Alpha and the Omega. He, he is the one who is and is to come. He is on the throne forever. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's on the throne. And whether or not we surrender to it doesn't change that fact. It's just whether or not we surrender. We know from Romans 10, there's nothing we can really do, right? It, it, we don't have a, a works-based salvation. Salvation is not works-based, which, which is so true, but that does not mean there's not action involved. You hear me? It's not works-based, but it doesn't mean there's not action involved. There is so much action involved. Matthew 16, 24 through 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Picking up the cross, action. Take that action. But to pick up the cross, you actually have to empty yourself pick up the cross. And, and I was writing about this, guys. I put so many hours into this and so much thought because I needed precision. Precision has been the word. It was spoken over me because this is something that's just been building up for months and I don't want to just, just spew it out on everybody. You know, I need to be precise. And I was writing about the cross and I'm like, you know, the cross is heavy. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a bit of a burden. It's, it's splintery. You might get tired. You might get weak. That's what humanity tells us, right? But Jesus, he spoke to me in that moment. He, he totally flipped my perception. He said, the cross isn't a burden. It was my tool of victory. So when I tell you to pick up your cross, I'm not telling you to get weighed down and tired for all this whole life and suffer. I'm actually telling you, hey, lay down your life and pick up the victory that I gave you and walk with it. Because it's, it's the tool of victory. It's right there. All you got to do is pick it up. You got to walk with it. Because you can stand there and look at the cross and be like, yep, Jesus died on that for me. I know that. I believe that. And you don't pick it up. You leave it. Maybe you keep it close to you. You know, maybe, maybe we, we walk with it a little bit. We go back to it. We visit it two times a week on Sunday and Wednesday. Hello? Right? We go back and we look at it. But we never pick it up. Because we have our own priorities, our own desires, our own obligations. You know, I've, I've got to take care of my job. I'm, I'm married. I've got to take care of my wife and here's the thing quality over quantity right 30 minutes of quality is better than an hour of quantity and if that 30 minutes of sacrifice to be spent with Jesus he will make your time of greater quality with the people that you spend with, with your time at work he will honor you for your sacrifice 
So this is why we have Philippians 121. This verse, right? For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And for me, a long, for a long time, that sounded very radical. I was like, oh, to die as gain. I don't want to die. To live as Christ, I get that much. I get that Christ is in me and, and to live as Christ. But to die as gain? I don't know. I don't know. And, and if that sounds radical to us, like it did for me, it no longer does. Now I can live by that. I can walk everywhere and say, to live as Christ and to die as gain. And I believe that in my heart. Because I now understand one thing. And that is my identity in who Jesus Christ has made me. Because if I'm lacking my identity, I don't understand where I'm headed. I don't understand who I've been made. But if I understand who I've been made, then to die is everything. It's gain. It's an eternal glory. And that sounds kind of morbid, but, you know, we as Christians, death has been defeated. We don't really die. We just go to heaven, right? We we picture death as this uh, painful, dark process, but really there's all kinds of testimonies out there of people dying and they just, even Stephen, you know, Stephen's being stoned. Let's take Stephen. He's being stoned. What happens? He sees the glory of God. He sees the Father, and he goes with him. We don't die. We go to heaven. We don't die. We go to heaven. And that's, that's the, the perspective change that we need to have. So I'm going to rattle off a few verses here. We're going to transition from the true nature of salvation, right, which we've, we've tagged down is surrender. It's not just the knowledge. It's not just acknowledging. It's not just recognizing. It's actually participating, right? Action involved. So I'm going to rattle off a few verses, Galatians 4, 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Colossians 3, 3. For you died and your life is hidden. Bolded that word, hidden with Christ in God. 1 John 2. Dear friends, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, get this, we will be like him. We will be like him, Christ, because we will see him as he is. So we hear it all the time that I'm a child of God. But do we really realize what that makes us? Do we really realize that puts you above the angels? Do do we get that? Do we understand who we are? Do we understand what our inheritance is? Because I think if we did, we'd, we'd be living a lot different. As, as a whole, as a, as a church, as a worldwide church. You know, I'm not speaking to anybody specific. There's a lot of people in here I don't know. You guys are awesome people, I'm sure. But this is a message that needs to be spoken. We'd be living different if we really understood who we were and what's ahead of us. A child of God. The one and only living God. You get to share in his glory, the parable of the talents, when God speaks to the servants that were good with multiplying what he gave them. He said, good, now come and share in my glory. Come and share in my joy. That's profound, guys. It's profound, and I think it's time that we take a little bit of time to meditate on that. And go home, sit on that, sleep on that. I'm a child of God. Wow. That's huge, that you get to share in the inheritance of Jesus Christ of the kingdom of heaven. Like imagine if you're a prince or a princess and your, your dad is the king, right? You're going to inherit the kingdom. That's huge. First Corinthians 6, 3. Don't you know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth. He says, don't you know that we will judge angels? First time I read that, I was like, wait a second. I'm going to judge angels? Who am I to judge angels? But it's because we will be made like Christ in his glory. 
Okay, and now, now we have another verse here. Hebrews 1, 13 through 14. Now to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? Which, by the way, is in David's Psalms, and then Jesus later quotes it. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? What? The angels. The ones that if, if, which by the way, in our current state right now, they are above us. We are in humanity. We are sinful. But there's coming a day of glory when we will be made like Christ. Oh, and I've got a good verse for you here. Oh, you're going to like this one. 1 Peter 1.12. You ready? Stick with me, okay? The prophets who told us this was coming asked a lot of questions about this gift of life God was preparing, about, about salvation. The Messiah's spirit let them in on some of it that the Messiah would experience suffering followed by glory. They clamored to know who and when. All they were told was that they were serving you and who by orders from heaven have now heard for yourselves through the Holy Spirit the message of those prophecies fulfilled. Here we go. Do you realize how fortunate you are? Angels would have given anything to be in on this. Angels would have given anything. Think about this. The angels that see God's glory all the time, the angels that are seated in heaven, that worship God day in and day out, that see the face of Christ, are envious of what we have. They would have given anything to be in the position that we're in. That's big. And do we realize what comes with our position and the Holy Spirit? Do we realize who we've been made? Because you know what you've been given? You've been given authority. Authority. There's a difference between, this is something I want to share, there's a difference between pride and confidence in what Jesus has given you And there's a difference between humility and low self-esteem. There's a difference between pride and knowing who Jesus has made you and a difference between humility and low self-esteem. There's a song called Champion by Bethel. It's new, and it, it says, When I lift my voice and shout, every wall comes crashing down. I have the authority that Jesus has given me. When I lift, when I open up my mouth, miracles start breaking out. I have the authority that Jesus has given me. Is that prideful? No. No, and here's why. It's saying, I have the authority. Yeah, Jesus gave it to me. By grace through faith, so that I cannot boast of my own works. I didn't do this. Jesus gave it to me, but I have it. I have it, and I can operate in it. I can utilize it. I have the authority as a son of God, as a daughter of God. Luke ten nineteen says this, Look, I've given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Which is going to lead us to our third and final topic. He says, don't rejoice, but he does not say, don't recognize and utilize. He says, don't rejoice that they submit to you, but he's saying, like, hey, I gave it to you for a reason. Do you think he would give, it, give us the Holy Spirit for us to not utilize it? You've been, you've, you're an army dressed for battle. You've been equipped. You have authority. You've got power. And we're supposed to use it.
What I think is most important about this verse, though, is the last line here. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He's saying don't rejoice about two things. All you need is one. Here's all the rejoicing you'll ever need. Your name is written in the book of life. And see, the reason that that's all the rejoicing that we'll ever need is because if you have the understanding of who you are and the inheritance that's waiting for you, that's all the rejoicing you'll ever need is that your name is in the book of life. You don't need to rejoice that the, that the demons cower at the name of Jesus through your own mouth. You don't need to. You already have all the joy you ever need. If we know our identity, our name being written in the book of life is sufficient. Sufficient. What else could we possibly need? And this is going to take us into our final topic of undignified worship. So here we have the true nature of salvation, which is surrender. And through that surrender, the joy, the freedom, the identity that's found in that, the authority that's found in that, and what that should produce in us. Second Samuel 6.22 says this, When David returned home to bless his household, Saul's daughter came out to meet him. Which, by the way, the Ark of the Covenant had just come back to Israel, and David went out presumptuously naked and danced in front of the Ark. Maybe in a little tunic, we don't know, but he was un- unclothed, dancing like a madman, like a drunkard in front of the Ark. She said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, she said. He exposed himself today in the sight of the slave girls of his subjects like a vulgar person would expose himself. And David replied to her, it was before the Lord who chose me over your father and his whole family to appoint me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. What a reason that is. I will dance before the Lord and I will dishonor myself and humble myself even more. Because it wasn't for you, it was for God. Much like David Even more so, really, we've got a reason to worship. We've got a reason to be undignified. We've got a reason. That reason is the eternal glory. That reason is sonship. That reason is co-heir to the kingdom. And it's huge. It's magnificent. It's more than we could ever ever think of. More, More than we could ever conjure up in our own mind. Beyond our reason, get this, it's actually our calling to worship. It's actually a very large part of why we were created. We were created to be in God's image, to glorify him, to be in relationship with him, to love him, and to worship him. It's your calling. I know a lot of times, even in my own life, I'm talking to myself, and I'm like, you know, I'm just not much of a worshiper. I don't really judge the people that are going crazy. Like, if you saw me over there, I'd probably look like a lunatic, right? I'm not, I'm not going to judge the people like that, but it's not for me. You know, I just kind of stand there, and it's, it's just not really my calling. Who told you that? The Bible, it, it's, it's our calling to worship. But here's the thing, it shouldn't be a task when we're actually living in surrender and freedom and identity. It's something you can't even help. <laughs> you know, it's something that, that we can't even help but just say, God, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Because I understand who I am and I understand where I'm going. And I can worship undignified in the presence of man because God is here. And it doesn't matter what man thinks of me because I know where I'm going. And by the way, if we don't enjoy worship, we might be in the wrong line of business because I don't know what we think we're going to be doing for eternity. Right? We're going to be worshiping. We sing with the angels, holy, holy, holy. Eternity never ends. And if you really don't like worship, that'd probably get pretty annoying. That's right. Romans 12. 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Hebrews 13, 15. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. In Luke 19, 40. He answered to the Pharisees when they were condemning the disciples for worshiping. Jesus answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. What does that tell you? Everything created by God is made to worship. It's in our nature to worship God. And he's given us a reason to worship. So it's not a task. It's a joy. It's a privilege. He's given us a reason to worship. And if we don't, the rocks will cry out in silence. The universe will declare his glory. Everything created by God has been created to worship him, and it's a beautiful thing because he deserves it. So don't you think it made David a little uncomfortable to dance, to do the naked dance in front of his people? It probably made him a little uncomfortable, right? He didn't just be like, well, all right, let's, let's do this. <laughs> no, he's probably like, ah, uh, you know. I'd be a little edgy. <laughs> I'd be a little edgy. I'd be like, I don't know. I'd be like doing it in front of all you guys right now. That's a little odd, you know. I'm sure David was a little bit uncomfortable. But notice, David never called us to act like he did. He just calls us to worship God with everything in us. And in the same way, my experience and convictions are not stamped as everyone's theology. So I can't stand up here and say, this is how you need to worship. You've got to throw up your hands when the beat drops, right? No, I can't do that. But I can say this. Worshiping in spirit and in truth can be a little uncomfortable. It's a little uncomfortable at first because you're aware of your surroundings. We're human beings. We're, we're conscious of people's opinions of us. We're very conscious. Whether or not we like to admit it, there's a lot of, a lot of us in here. I know the feeling where I stand here and I, I have this feeling where I just want to like slip up the hand and worship, right? But I'm a little worried of what people might think of me. It's a little uncomfortable at first, but God meets you when you do. He met me. You know, when my encounter with God was, when the scales fell off my eyes, I was worshiping. Because I was in a chapel service, and and the girl on stage said, you know, I I think some of the most pivotal moments in our life are when we worship God, not because we feel like it, not because it's a thing to do, but because we know that he deserves it. And that was right up my alley, because I couldn't deny who God was, even if I wanted to. And I couldn't deny that he deserved the worship. So I said, okay, God, you deserve it. I'm going to worship you. And I began to sing the song. The song was Defender. And I just began to sing it. And all of a sudden, I felt like an out-of-body experience. I was 100 pounds lighter and floating up in the air and just began to cry. And I felt God say to me, you finally understand. You finally understand. It's a relationship. It's a covenant. It's a daily decision. So you don't get married and then just wake up the next day and be like, eh, not today, maybe tomorrow. Maybe on Sunday. You know, that, that's not the pure covenant of a relationship. We choose him when it's hard. You choose your spouse when it's hard through sickness and in death, right? It's in our vows. And that's, that was relationship. That's all it is. It's not complicated. But it does require life change. The gospel demands change. It asks us to get a little bit uncomfortable. Galatians 1.10 if I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And that kind of ties up that idea. If I were still trying to please 
everyone, I would not be up here. I probably wouldn't even be in church if I was still trying to please people because the world outside is dark. It's manipulative. And if I was trying to please people, no telling where I'd be. But I've become undignified in the presence of God. And when we do that, he takes us places. He shows us things. He's gracious. He blesses us. So just like David said, it wasn't for others. It was for God. But here's the thing. Neither was it for himself. Worship is not for us. If, if, we're, if we're approaching worship as like, what can I receive? Or I'm just going to stand here and, and soak it in and receive it like I did for so long. We've, we've got a flawed concept of what worship is. Because we walk in the mercies of God every day. It says his mercies are new. We walk in that. And this is a time for us to gather as a congregation and lift up a shout of praise to God for what he deserves. Even if we're a little uncomfortable with it. The gospel requires us to get over ourselves a little bit, doesn't it? The gospel requires us to get over ourselves. And it's hard. It's tough. But what does the word say? Hey, taste and see that the Lord is good. Once we take that step, it's like, ah, I'm going to try it. (laughs) And we finally make it over the line. It's like, oh, wow, this is so freeing. This is nice. I could do this a little more. And we take another step deeper and deeper. As the Psalms say, deep calls to deeper still. We can never get enough. But we have to take that initial step of getting past ourselves. So what's stopping you? What's holding you back? You've got a reason. We've got a reason. And he deserves it. So what's stopping us? What's holding you back? That's my challenge to you. Just let go, surrender, and walk in freedom. Maybe you don't have a reason. Because you're still walking in the realm of knowledge. And you haven't discovered what real relationship is yet. Now's your time. Today's the day. Step out of knowledge into relationship. And I know it's, it's confusing. What, how do I be in relationship with someone I can't see? The word says, hey, don't worry about that. God's going to show you. He's going to teach you. He'll show you. All you have to do is just submit, surrender, and say, God, I'm open. I'm open to this. You'll be surprised what comes your way. Be bold. It's a lifestyle of boldness. It is. It's countercultural. Jesus was so countercultural, they killed him in three years. Three years. That's how countercultural Jesus was. Which, by the way, religious people killed Jesus. Religion killed Jesus. And we don't abide by that. We abide by the new law, the new covenant. We don't, we don't live by the Ten Commandments anymore. Though they're good, they're a good outline. It's good morality. We don't live by that. You know what we live by? Love God. Love your neighbor. Love is the fulfillment of the law. It's amazing when you really get into the depths of theology how many deep answers are answered by love. It's brain-rattling that something so simple makes the universe turn because it's our God. Our God, it's, it's his nature to love. So let's not be a group of Christians. I need you to hear this. This was something I got a long time ago. Let's not be a group of Christians that are so preoccupied with doing the right thing and loving our neighbor that we forget to love God. Because that's very easy. It's very easy. 
to get tied up in the works of religion and doing the right thing, forgetting to love God. I'm guilty of it. It's a dangerous place to be because we're missing the first commandment. The first and most important, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second, just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Which, by the way, loving your neighbor as yourself requires you to love yourself. You're beautiful. You're a child of God. You're redeemed. You're holy. You're made righteous by faith. You've got to love yourself and then transfer that love onto others around you. But what's important, first and foremost, is that we love God. And we love him undignified. And we surrender to him. So how do we love God? It's easy to talk about it. How do we do it? I'll give you two places to start. Surrender. Worship. Surrender leads to worship. You want to love God? Surrender to him. Jesus loved the Father. Why don't we follow in Jesus' example? What did he do in the garden? He said, if possible, take this cup from me. But if not, your will be done. I'll surrender. I'll surrender to your will because I love you. We're going to have the time here. I know I've gone over. I apologize for that, but I feel like the Lord spoke here today. I feel like he's tugged on a lot of heartstrings. So we're going to have a time of worship, and I'll be down here just like I was last service. And there's a lot of things that you could come up about today. Come tell me, hey, I want to worship. I want to live undignified. I want to live free. I want to know what that's like. I want to step out of knowledge and come into a relationship. Not because of fear. Let's not do it because of fear, but let's realize how much God loves you, that he adopted you into the family. Maybe you say, I don't know much about this stuff. I want to know this Jesus. Here's what I know from the things I've seen. He can encounter you right now today. Right now. There's no reason to wait. No, No reason to let that fire die out. Whatever it is, whatever's on your heart, I know there's a lot of people in here, you've got this stirring, maybe a little uneasiness. And you're like, man, am I really going to go up? Do it. Step across that line. Just like this, step across. Walk into freedom. Get out of religion. Get out of the, get out of the daily grind. Find out what freedom is all about. Find out what relationship is all about. Because it set me free. It changed my life. Let's pray. Abba, I love you. You're a good father. You're a good father. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that your spirit begins to do a work in this place. That as your word promises, your spirit is being poured out on all flesh, men and women alike. God, I pray for, for people to receive your Holy Spirit right now, God. I pray that you you show us new mercies right now, God. You open up our eyes to who you really are, to what you've really done, to what a life of surrender consists of. Lord, that, that, that we would not put forth effort to undignified worship, but that we would actually desire to worship you undignified because it's, it's part of, of who we've been made to be when we walk in the truth of our identity as children of God. Just pray for an outbreak of your spirit, God. Just rebuke any 
any strongholds of fear, Lord, any, any strongholds of maybe thinking I'm not good enough, like, yeah, you don't, you, don't, you don't know me, you don't know my situation. Well, hey, God does. And this is his word, and his word says, come as you are. He doesn't care what you've done. So God, I pray that this is a time of refreshment, a time of revival, a time of truth, a time where we step into relationship and break out of the mold of religion, start changing the world around us. Christianity without Holy Spirit is just a system of rules. So God, I ask for your Holy Spirit to come so that we wouldn't try to be abiding by rules, but that we ask you to change our desires, God. That your ways would be our ways. Your rules would be our rules because it's actually our desire. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Stir up the atmosphere. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's all we want. In Jesus' name. Your mighty, holy, precious name, Jesus. Amen.